Welcome to My on Mondays, an explorative approach to the possessive my through narratives, art, and sound. Each Monday brings a new creation and unique perspective. My on Mondays is brought to you by Ming Studios, a contemporary art space and international artist residency program dedicated to the exhibition, experience, and exploration of arts and culture. Along with exhibiting artists from around the world, Ming also serves the community by hosting innovative programs including performances, workshops, screenings, readings, artist talks, and other cultural activities. For more information or if you'd like to participate in My on Mondays, you can visit our website at mingstudios.org. Hello and welcome to the 55th episode of My on Mondays. Today we have an interview with actor and writer Jodine Revere, who we're lucky to have as a regular contributor to Ming Studios programming. You can listen to her earlier contributions to My on Mondays in Episode 8, My Getaway, and Episode 20, My First Glimpse Through a Pervy Lens. In addition to her work on stage, in film, and readings of her personal essays, she's been part of two migration theory site-specific productions, S5 and Small Matters. Her first reading at Ming in 2019 became the springboard for her one-woman show, The Persistent Guest, a darkly humorous story of her trifecta of cancer experiences, less-than-desirable relationships, and life philosophy. After several postponements due to COVID, the persistent guest finally opens this Saturday at Boise Contemporary Theater. This show is not to be missed. Check out the link to get your tickets. So good morning, Jodine. I'm so happy to have you here today and get to talk to you. I have some some fun questions I'd like to ask you, but I, I want to dive right in. Um, and talk a little bit about your upcoming performance that we're all eagerly awaiting. <laughs> the three-year pregnancy, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> By the time we finally release this uh, this interview, we will know the date. So um, great, yay! So the title of your one one woman show is called "The Persistent Guest," and Correct. back. Back in 2019, you did a live reading at Ming that has evolved into this show. Can you take us back to the beginnings of this piece and, and how it began? Uh, sure. So it started, I mean, all of the parts and pieces of it. I started writing a blog. Um, surprise, who doesn't write a blog? When I was diagnosed with cancer the second time, I've had that three times I've gone through that. Mm. Um, so this first one was a lump that was removed. I did not do chemo or radiation. And then six months later it resurfaced. And then at that point in time I had a mastectomy and then I went through chemo and, um, started writing, you know, started a blog and started writing about it just mostly as a way to to get for for all of my friends and people and you know community to be able to have a sense of what was going on rather than having to endless endlessly answer the questions or reach out it was just sort of mm -hmm. like hey go read the blog and you'll know what's happening okay so i wrote that kept that going and um 
Yeah, and it was very satisfying. I think it was maybe the first time I really started to feel like a writer, I guess. I had kept um, a newsletter for probably five years prior to that that I sent out to clients and for my massage therapy and for my yoga teaching things and acting gigs I did. But it was the first time I started feeling like, I don't know, like it started resonating with me of like, oh, you actually... Some of this is kind of is kind of good. So anyway, I did that, and then through the course of that, people really re- resonated with it, and they were like, you know, you should write a book. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe. And then it dawned on me that I had, I had already. Ri- I mean, it was written. It was just mm-hmm. a matter of sort of stitching it together in some sort of coherent way. Mm-hmm. So I had started to work with an editor with the idea of it being a book of essentially a book of essays because they're all sort of journal entry kinds of kinds mm-hmm. of things. And um, in the process of that, Elizabeth McKetta, my fabulous Elizabeth McKetta, writer, poet, editor, friend, the people at Ming had reached out to her about doing a reading and she was like, you should contact Jodine. And so you did contact mm-hmm. me. And I thought, well, I will do a reading of what is going to be this book, like some things from that. And so I started putting things together. And then by the time I actually did it that night at the Ming, it sort of became clear that as an actor, I had actually written a one woman show Mm -hmm. and it's not really a book. So that's the long director's cut answer to your question. Yeah. Well, it it was a fantastic reading. I mean, it was, it was so engaging. I mean, I think one of the things that happens a lot of times with writers who are not also actors is, you know, a lot of writers are very introverted and they're very shy. And so they have this, this beautiful work that they've, that they've done, and then they get up to read it and you can barely hear them and (laughs) and they're miserable. It's a painful experience. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so it was, it was so fantastic to watch you and listen to you and I think I cried at least twice <laughs> during the performance I think but it was I, also I think I did too but it was yeah. also funny I mean you really take us on the whole trip you know that's great really that was fantastic a... so now so this has turned into a one-woman show and you've you've read you've received a lot of support for this a tremendous amount of support. Mm-hmm. So the night that I did the reading at the Ming and, you know, all of my sweet supporters and friends and stuff, but two of the people that were in the audience that night were um, Benjamin Burdick, who is the new artistic director at BCT, managing director at BCT, and his wife, Jessica, Jessica Morris. And they are both brilliant actors and directors and lovely people and dear friends of mine. And I invited them to the reading. And so they came and after the reading, they came up to me and Ben was like, why the hell are we not developing this as a show? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, it kind of dawned on me that this actually is a show as I started doing it tonight. And so he was like, let's talk. So we met and had coffee, I don't know, a week or two later and started discussing that and then started doing a little bit of an editing project. And we were going to do it as a sort of a, a world premiere staged reading in March <laughs> of 2020. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I was supposed to have an actual run at BCT. I would be in their season. So I had all this tremendous support in being able to do that. And then, you know, the 
the plug got pulled, like the plug got pulled on everybody doing their stuff. On the world. Yeah, exactly. As we do this interview, you're still on a pause. But um, by the time we put out this podcast, we'll have all of the information because it's not just a show. You also filmed it as well. Am I correct? Yeah. In um, a year ago, actually, a year ago in April, we filmed it. We spent a week filming it um, in the theater. I had presented the idea to Ben when we were not able to do it live as a show and wanting to kind of keep some momentum going. And, um, and also truly, I mean, from a, a personally very selfish aspect, I just said, Hey, you know what? I'm sure we'll get to do this live in front of people. Cause I know that it will happen. It's not a matter. It's just a matter of when it's not a, an if it's a matter of when, mm-hmm. um, but I also said, you know what? I've had cancer three times. And if I don't live to, like, <laughs> I'll be really pissed <laughs> if this doesn't exist. So let's film it so that we know that there's, like, a documentation of this. And mm-hmm. um, he was like, yeah. I mean, he took it to the board, and they were like, yes, go ahead and film this. So we Great. filmed it. It's a it's a feature film. Not done in the in the way of just like, you know, a stagnant camera watch, you know, filming mm-hmm. someone do a stage thing. But it has a very filmatic sort of element to it. Um, it's it's quite singular and it's really beautiful and I'm very proud of it. it we're mm. still in some post-production stuff. But okay. um, yes, once I have done the show live on stage, then we will do a premiere release for the film and and okay, it's the same great. it's the same script but there has been a little bit of editing that's happened but mostly it's just you're having two bit you know there's nothing like sitting in a theater and seeing a live performance yeah um so just uh, two different flavors of that story which yeah. i think people will be excited to see both of them i hope i am for sure yay I know you as quirky and wonderful adult Jodine, <laughs> and and I'm curious to to know a little bit about young Jodine and her influences. And someone recently asked me a question that I thought was a fantastic interview question. So it's who were your idols as a child? Oh wow. And well, the second part of the question is also, when did you realize you wanted to become an actor? Um, Wow, I think always. Um, Mm -hmm. My father was um, a musician and performer. And um, so I grew up around sort of that nuttiness of of that world Mm -hmm. and he was a very very funny performer of a man I mean really when I don't think of him as a musician I think of him as a performer and so Mm -hmm. I think some of that kind of kind of came from him for sure um but I just I was a voracious reader as a child and I still Mm -hmm. am I I devour books at and kind of an amazing rate so books have always been very important to me film has always been very important to me I don't think I ever actually saw a live theater performance until I was probably 10 or 12. Um, And I remember just being mind blown by 
that like those are live people on mm-hmm. stage doing this thing and so that was always interesting to me but but story you know the mm-hmm. the story and um yeah the costumes and you know I was a huge fan of musicals and so singing all the lyrics to all of the songs and and all of the things I think the the first <laughs> the first thing that really took me uh, was when the film Fiddler on the Roof came out mm-hmm. I saw that movie in theater seven times (laughs) and I was eight years old nine years old and was smitten with that story one I wanted to be Jewish I I thought that like I really thought that I should maybe like change change tax there Hmm. but just the story and you know the dad and the daughters and the daughters trying to find their independence and people being you know sent out of the country and just you know weeping in the theater I mean I was was like eight or nine years old (laughs) and I remember trying to talk to kids in grade school like have you seen this movie do you understand the important kids are just looking at me like you know I was watching (laughs) Scooby-Doo yesterday I don't know what the hell you're talking about so um, I was just always a weird sort of too mature for my age, too artistically involved for probably my own good um, <laughs> most of the time. So I don't know if I answered your question or not, but. No, I mean, I, th- I think um, so. I think so. That I mean, idols aren't necessarily a single person, you know, influences is maybe a better question, but I, I kind of like the idea of, of idols even though many of us didn't really have them right Mm. um yeah just people who were people who were acting people who were in the arts like Mm. those were that was my gravitational pull for sure yeah I'm curious about your creative process and this is something I've talked to other artists about some occasionally and um for you Maybe it's a little bit different because I've never talked to an actor about this before. But what is your ideal environment for creating? Because a lot of us, we, when we create, we're doing it alone, which I imagine you're doing when sure. you're writing. But for acting, it's, it's right. a little bit different. Just, I mean, because acting is a, it's a collaborative, mm-hmm. it is a collaborative thing. It's not a, it's not a do alone thing. Well, sometimes it is. Well, I'm doing a one woman show, so kind mm-hmm. of, sort of, but <laughs> Um, but still I'm working very much in conjunction with a director who has eyes on what is going on and I'm, I'm getting the feedback of what is working and what is not working. Mm. And, um, but ideally just sort of an environment as an actor is just to be with, you know, with other, with other people, that community of, of other people and, um, ideally a group of people that are, that are good at, at what they do. I mean, to quote, you know, to quote my daughter, like, you know, my, my, my goal is always to be the dumbest person. Like my, Mm. my biggest delight is to be the dumbest person in the room. Mm. Like I want to be surrounded with people that are so much better than I am Mm -hmm. so that I can learn so that I have something to, to strive for. And, um, yeah, generous actors who listen and pay attention and, um, are not, about trying to grandstand but there's a Mm -hmm. a very generous sort of give and take like that's just that is the juiciest thing in the world is to be with real professional people yeah and the same I'm sure for you I mean with musicians with people that you know like nobody's trying to grandstand but everybody's Mm -hmm. like really listening and supportive of and 
um, yeah, helping. That is the ideal environment, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it's it, it, in especially when you are in when you're involved in the arts, and I imagine in any kind of discipline, there is so much competition. I used to sing for, for performing groups and there was always, it was just about the money or the competition, seeing who's better than who. And, and I finally, I just thought, I hate this. Oh, (laughs) this is terrible. (laughs) I I don't want to do this anymore. What is the point? This isn't why I got into this in the first place. And, you know, and, and then I came here and, and began performing with a group that was just like, I mean, it, it. Everyone cared about each other. There was it, everyone was in it for the love of the art, and that's that's the essence of it, isn't it? I mean, I think that I, absolutely, and or at least what to, it should be. <laughs> I exactly. I mean, I think that is that is what it should be. I mm-hmm. I do not have a competitive bone in my body, and if I'm ever mm-hmm. put in a situation of where there's like a competition kind of, I'm just like I'm out like mm-hmm. I just tap out immediately mm-hmm. I'm like no nope, don't like that at all yeah which does not mean that you can't not being competitive does not mean that you are lazy or don't like hone your skills or don't do your work or don't bring it to the table at yeah. all yeah but it doesn't have to be at the expense of someone else mm-hmm. yeah um at well, all but... and so yeah that that's the that's the striving for when everybody realizes that, you know, the better you are, the better they are, the better it holds up the whole project, the better the whole show is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a matter of being better than someone else. It's about everybody like this is the the total thing will be a better thing if we all are the best that we can possibly be. So, yeah. so that that brings me to the next question what do you think is the most important thing about yourself and it and it doesn't necessarily yeah. even have to be a good thing it's just something that you think is is important maybe either for you to know or for others to know wow what a great question um i think i will always i'm gonna swear i think i always own up that i'm an asshole um <laughs> Um, I don't pretend I'm not. Hmm. Um, I am very judgmental. I don't like lots of things or people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, I'm very happy alone. And at the same time, I'm also very social and very collaborative in the way that I like to do things. Um, I don't know. I'm just very, I'm kind of an idiot and I'm always willing to just be like, hey, I thought I knew, but I don't know. Now I've changed my mind. And I thought I was doing a good thing. And now actually I've realized I'm kind of a dick. And so I apologize for that. But I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's maybe. So I, I think maybe as yeah. as the listener, what how that sort of translates in my mind is there's a part of you that's coming from a place of honesty and sincerity. Hopefully, yes. I mean, that is always. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even when I'm being a dick. Yeah. It's it's hard to admit that, you know? Right. Yeah. And so a willingness, maybe. 
Yes, I don't have a false humility. I mean, I think there's nothing more annoying than people who are so self-effacing and so, like, won't own the, I'm good at this thing. And it's mm-hmm. okay to say that you're good at a thing. Mm-hmm. Own it. Yeah. Own what own what you do, but also, um, I don't know. Um, I love, I love, be- my daughter's told me this. She was like, I have never met anybody who is like so utterly content with their life and like enjoys being alive more than you do. Like you just really love being here and you're really content and happy and get really delighted over things that other people are like, really, that's not exciting to you. I don't know. I just think it's super neat to be here. And I think that um, I'm in a constant state of sort of wonder and delight about most of the stuff that happens in my world. And I feel very fortunate around that. Do you do you think that comes from coming I I don't want to say close to death but in, into con, into oh, that yeah. that confrontation or or is this something that you've always sort of it's always been no, a part I of think, you No I think I think it's I think that's a that is a part of it and I also think um I don't know maybe aging is part I just turned 60 mm-hmm. it was my birthday on Tuesday happy so happy birthday um, there's 60 yeah um I spent a lot of my life extremely um I was like a Seinfeld a Seinfeld child like just ironic and snarky <laughs> and pessimistic and that just really sort of ruled a lot of how I was for a very very long time mm-hmm. and I don't I don't have much of that in my makeup anymore. And I think I think maybe that's part of it. It's just kind of mellowed. It's kind of mellowed me out. I think once you've gone through that, now I'm just sort of like, it's like, really? Like, what else could possibly happen? Like, tell, like I'm going to be worried about that. I don't think I'm going to be worried about that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be mm-hmm. mad because I'm stuck in traffic or because... Mm-hmm. You know, I owe money in taxes. I'm like, seriously, what are they going to do? Put me in jail? I don't Mm -hmm. think so. Like, are you going to worry about that? No, I'm not going to worry about that. Yeah. I'm going to go for a walk and have a nice day and do that. So So as someone who lives this um, really rich life and you carry this sense of um, what seems sort of like magic or deep awareness or gratitude or whatever it is, what what do you think you could not live without in this life? What what would make it unlivable? And I mean there's the obvious like losing our children or sure. but is there is there something else? <laughs> the first thing I want to say is cheese. If there was no <laughs> cheese, there would really be no point. <laughs> anything that's a fantastic answer (laughs) cheese is good (laughs) (laughs) for the love of god don't take her cheese away from her (laughs) sometimes Um, the simplest answers are so much better than the profound Oh my God. Um, probably because of that. I don't know. I am a very funny person. I have a really twisted sense of humor. And if I were not 
laughing and genuinely delighted mm. and struck silly by things. Mm. I just don't see what the point would be. Yeah. I mean, and this yeah. cre- I mean, the world is on fire mm-hmm. and how like that is all you've got. Yeah. It's kind of all all we have. Not to be dismissive, not to be flippant at all around anything, but it's like there's only so much. Actually, there's so little we have any control over at all. Yeah. So all you can do is like live, you know, a kind, hopefully creative, lovely life and be kind to other people and, and, uh, yeah, don't add any extra stuff to the fire. And um, that's kind of all we can do. Beautiful. I have one last question for you. And sure. we've we've talked about uh, the persistent guest, which is now completed other than the final stages of editing for the film. And we're just awaiting the... the <laughs> The water to break. Yes, waiting the um, premiere date. But I'd like to know what you're working on currently and what you're looking forward to. Um, I have been doing some writing. I was in a writing group for like all of last year that was really lovely. We met once a week and that Mm. was really great to... um, just to be able to, you know, have people read things and to get some feedback and read mm-hmm. other people's things and have assignments. I mean, and to have that accountability yeah, um, is really important. I am a profoundly lazy person. And so it's nice to be held accountable and have like <laughs> deadlines <laughs> to do things. That's, that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped the class because I thought I was going to do my show and I haven't quite jumped back on the wagon yet, but mm-hmm. um, I've been, Writing like mostly lots of personal essays, um, which is that is what I that is what I do. My daughter is actually um, she's a screenwriter and she can actually, you know, create dialogue and and uh, characters and story in a way that I just I'm I can just like regurgitate very self-involved personal things. Mm -hmm. Um, She can do that. She can do that, too. But I mean, that other skill of like actually like creating another story and characters that is that's not a that's not in my toolkit at all Mm. so hats off to that um but yeah working on some personal essays some things like along that line and um still you know keeping my brain slightly in this script but not wanting to burn myself out before we have the opportunity to go back into rehearsal Mm -hmm. to polish it before we do it again um yeah, and then I really look forward to, you know, hopefully uh, be able to take this show to some other cities that I can tour it to some other cities would be nice, you know. Mm-hmm. And then um, because I because I wrote it, uh, then it's, uh, you know, the, the uh, publishing rights are available for it so that someone else could um, buy the rights and do the show, which I think would be fascinating to see someone else do the show like that what would that would look really like on someone else i think would be great yeah. i think it would be great so i look forward to having those experiences and then i will be really ready to to not ever tell this story again or do it or perform it i and can imagine put it yeah and just move move on it it already feels like so it feels so far removed from my current reality mm-hmm 
because it had, you know, the beginnings of this were like 10 years ago. And so um, it feels like something that happened a long, long time ago to someone that I kind of know mm-hmm. uh, instead of something that actually happened to me. So I'll be mm-hmm. I'll be ready to be done with that and 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 very excited to get cast in something that someone else wrote that I'm not playing myself. I'll be very excited mm-hmm. to have that experience. So. Well, I'm really looking forward to not only um, the release of or the premiere of your new show, but also to what you get involved with next, because I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Thank you so much. Rebecca, it was lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Have a good one. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back next Monday. Tune in.